0: Hey everybody, before we get started, just want to bring you a message from our sponsor and who the podcast is being brought to you by Bet Online. Betonline is the fastest, easiest, and safest way to bet on all things sports. With March Madness, the Masters, and Major League Opening Day right around the corner, Bet Online has all the latest news, scores, and odds to help you win big. The best part, you'll receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. So, head on over to betonline.ag and use our promo code, Blue Wire, to re- receive your literal free money. Plus, signing up is a great way to support this podcast that you're listening to right now. Again, that's promo code Blue Wire, all one word, when you sign up at betonline.ag. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. And now, on to the podcast. <music> Blue Liar. The Philadelphia 76ers select Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons. Here comes Simmons between their legs. Embiid! The power for Simmons! Wow, what a play! So welcome everybody to yet another episode of the new slant. I believe we have hit, I want to say this is episode 25, which I think that's quite an accomplishment for my buddy Seamus and I. As always, I'm your host, Kyle Newbeck. Our podcast is being brought to you by our friends at Bet Online And Seamus Clancy, let's just get right into it because it has been quite a uh, a last week in, in Sixers world. They had a crushing defeat on the road in Milwaukee. They had a couple big Joel Embiid performances that bookended that game. But I think the topic that everybody is talking about, and rightfully so, is Ben Simmons's... Back issue, back injury that we've now learned he's on a two weeks and then reevaluated timetable right now. We are back in familiar territory. I haven't talked to you pretty much at all about this situation yet. So fire from the hip. What are you feeling right now?
1: So we're at the aptly numbered twenty fifth episode of the newslent, which can't believe made it this far. But obviously number hey, twenty five is also that
0: doing big things, buddy of ben simmons yes
1: so my concern here is that he's just not going to play this year and it's either one of two weeks in my mind where he's going to be out until the fall until training camp either that or he's going to still be hurt and they're going to rush him back the last two weeks of the season to get him ready for the playoffs and he's going to re-injure himself and then he's going to miss the entirety of next season or something and so. I'm not even phased or angry. <laughs> like, obviously, I, you know, there's been this sort of talk uh, about, like, oh, F Josh Harris, F everyone in this front office, saw the team, and I kind of talked about that in my newsletter earlier in the week. And while I'm, like, obviously angry and mad, It just kind of, I'm numb to these things at this point. I mean, if you survive, you know, Nerlens Noel Saga, Joel, Jaleel Okafor, and missing his first two seasons... Ben missing his first two seasons, the entire Markel-Fultz ordeal, Bernergate scandal. There's literally nothing the Sixers could do that would truly astound me and shock me and make me think, what in the world is going on? It'd have to be, I I don't know. They'd be selling the team. That's the only thing that would shock me right now because I don't expect them to do that until they get a new stadium in line or arena, I should say, uh, in Camden. When I think that'll be the... I think they're going to slip out then once the lease runs out. (laughs) And I think, this isn't me, just my joking thing. I I've thought this for a while that I believe their lease runs through like 20, sometime this decade. I want to see either like 2024, 2028 or something. I knew this a while ago when they first built the practice facility in Camden. But, you know, that's not happening anytime soon, unfortunately. The valuation is too high. They're making money doing this.
0: Yeah, so, I, I mean, I before we get back to Ben, I can tell you that they certainly, and this is not exactly a big secret. They certainly are not happy with an arrangement where they are tenants in their home arena. They obviously would like to have their own arena or at least not be uh, renting essentially. And not uh, like when you see all these ridiculous partnerships that they strike with different brands, like The StubHub thing, which Seamus, you're much more familiar with their ticket strategies. I had to give up my season tickets, so you're much more familiar with that than I am. But like the official ticket partner and official, like all that stuff, is a way for them to make up for the fact that they don't have their own arena, And, and if they could, that they would have one.
1: Yeah. So they, you buy tickets from the Sixers, and then just say I bought tickets to a game. As a season ticket holder. And I wanted to sell my tickets. I didn't go to the game last time. We are recording this on Tuesday night. I actually got held up at work. Cut not make the game. Which is fine. Sold the yeah. tickets on StubHub for super cheap. Just because it was like an hour or two before game time. But th- because of their partnership with StubHub, they're getting a cut of that money. So not only did I buy the tickets from them, they're making even money on me reselling them to another human being. Like... Fuck, just fuck these guys. They're raising the prices on this. Like, it'd be different if they were cheap, the way I kind of com- complain about John Middleton and the Phillies' ownership this offseason kind of cheaping out, uh, and especially not wanting to pay the creators of the Philly Fanatic for his likeness, which is an entirely different oh, discussion. Oh, yeah, that is. Because, you know, they spent ridiculous. money, they handed out this big money deal, they signed Joel and me to a max contract. Ben Simmons going to be the same deal. They gave Al Horford $109 million. They gave Tobias Hammers $180 million. They're just incompetent otherwise, and that's really the, the thing that's driving me. And they just have no sense of self-awareness when it comes to the fan base, when it comes to—they they kind of insult your intelligence and think you're an idiot with the way they handle their PR staff. Not I'm not calling out anyone that's on the PR team just because these are organizational mandates. It starts from the top down and everything is just handled in the worst way they keep on front office guys after the last front office left in disgrace.
0: i don't know man well so i want to bring us back into the yeah, simmons it's, it's, thing because if, if you want to talk about like the top down stuff and the messaging and everything they do so think about this so i will give you the the perspective i have as someone who like talk to People about Simmons's injury and all that. So we go to practice on Wednesday, and we talk to the Sixers for the first time after the All Star break. We find out on Thursday that Ben's got this back issue; that he's not going to play in the Brooklyn Nets game, and they say he's got back tightness. And, and it was Brett Brown says something happened at practice on Wednesday, and it's not a serious thing. They upgrade him to probable the next day Friday for the Bucs game he's available for the Bucs game on Saturday and they say and, and maybe this is this is stuff that hasn't necessarily been reported yet I guess when they said that they wanted to have him receiving treatment during that game I think is something that went around over the weekend that was, that really was weird yeah and so that was more along the lines of putting him on an exercise bike and keeping him loose, something that, like, you see that around a lot of arenas around the league, guys that are coming back from injuries or dealing with something. So that, that part in itself isn't abnormal, but they're saying today that they're reporting, again, this is, we're talking on Tuesday evening after the Simmons news has dropped, they're saying that the this issue, this uh, nerve impingement say he has, that he suffered that on... Saturday during the Bucks game, and that the symptoms that he has from that the first time that they were seen is after the game on Saturday, and like none of that seems to really add up to me. Like, obviously, this guy was feeling back tightness, maybe that's not the same as uh, nerve impingement and the symptoms there, but clearly there was an issue, and he went out there and heard it whether he heard it worse or just figured out that he couldn't go that's only only ben simmons can really tell you that but they claim that this is the first time that these symptoms emerge he goes through scans he goes through evaluations and the best that they can offer us at this stage uh, a few days after that happened is to say that he has a nerve impingement which isn't actually a description of what is wrong right like A nerve impingement can be the product of a lot of things. Like I, I have had a nerve impingement before. And so I'm like relatively familiar with it and and what it's connected to for someone who's not a, a orthopedic person or a surgeon, whatever. And it can come from a variety of things. Like if you have an impinged nerve in your neck, that could be as simple as, you sleep weird on it and it you have a tight neck the next day and, and maybe you just need to give that some time where your neck is in a normal position or in the lower back maybe you fall and you fall on your back hard and the nerve is impinged and, and you just need to straighten out and let it heal and it'll be fine over time so there like there are plenty of these situations where with rest, relaxation, and moderate physical therapy, it'll just go away. And I think that's probably why the Sixers right now are saying this is a two weeks and reevaluated because that maybe that is all it needs. But it could also be a product of some more nefarious things, some things that could be long term issues, like a, a bulging or herniated disc. And when I asked the Sixers about that specifically, if the nerve issue was a product of something bigger, they basically said, this is, all, this is all the information we have right now and threw their hands in the air. Me, that just says like, well, then this timetable that you've given us and the nerve impingement diagnosis, you're not actually telling us anything. You're telling me that his back is in pain and you're putting a name to it. But if you can't commit to saying yes or no, when I ask if this is connected to something bigger, that to me says that hasn't been ruled out. And these next two weeks are about figuring out what the root cause is. And so I think people hear that initial two weeks and they think to themselves like, okay, that's not as bad as maybe I thought it was. Maybe Ben will be back soon. Certainly he'll be back for the playoffs. I don't know that you can like, maybe he will be back in two weeks. That is entirely possible. But I think, I think that every possible outcome is on the table right now, I I think it's just as likely, at least based on the information we have, it's just as likely that he could miss the rest of the season as it is that he would be back in two weeks. So we're very much in a wait-and-see holding pattern right now. These two weeks are going to be long. Everyone's going to be wanting updates. I don't know that anything new is going to be shared. So before you guys start bombarding me with questions on it, I am not going to know... A whole lot, and I promise you that I will tell you whatever I know as soon as it's available. But all of that is to say that. Do your job. All of that is to say that I find it very strange that they thought that this is a suitable message, I guess, to present to the public, and that they are so i don't want to say it's not incompetence they're so lackadaisical don't think things through no not even that they're so short on information right now that they can't commit one way or another on a bunch of different issues so it's uh it's bad it's not a it's not a great situation to be in and certainly with the where the team is and how well they need to play down the stretch just to have themselves in in good position seating wise. And, and, and even beyond that, like forget what it means for the playoff picture, just the fact that they continue to not have reps for their best players together this season. And that's a problem. Like you look at, I know a lot of other teams have survived injuries, but not to the extent that the Sixers have had to for the teams that are at the, the top of the conference. And most of the ones that are at the top of the conference have either more continuity that they came into the year with, which is the case for a team like Milwaukee team, like Toronto team, like Boston to lesser extent, because they brought in a big free agent and Kemba Walker. Uh, But yeah, it's all the way bad for this group. And I'm not really sure where we, where they go from here.
1: Yeah. You go right to hollow netto and, get the sixth seed, and lose in six to Boston. I mean, that's just being overly negative and kind of playing a bit there. But they're kind of screwed. Uh, you know, if Embiid got hurt, theoretically, that's what Al Horford was there for. That's why he gave Al Horford $109 million. They don't have a $109 million backup point guard. They don't even really have a true backup point guard. They have Shake Milton starting, and he played admirable last night, he's had some decent flash-ins this year. He did well in that that Lakers Saturday night game last month. But he's shake Milton. He's going to suck at some point in the next two weeks because that's who he is. And if he's competent, sometimes the Sixers are going to take that because a competent ball handler is just missing from this roster when Ben's not out there. So they needed Joel Embiid to have a career high in points, 49 points, to be likely the worst team in the NBA at home when they are the best team in the NBA at home. They were losing after three quarters, after taking a big lead, and the score at the end, they kind of ran it up at the end, the Sixers did, uh, made it seem like it wasn't as close as it was, and they weren't sweating it out as much as they really did in the second half. So that's really telling to me that even if they rack up some wins, they're going to be struggles, even at home, even even if it's against lackluster competition. But when they have to play the two L.A. teams in the next week. We have to play Boston at some point. We have to play Toronto. Oh, hey, by the this... way,
0: they're going to have to play the Warriors and Steph Curry yeah, is coming back. I saw Steph's back. back. I just saw two hours ago. Yeah. So that game, which would have been a joke about 12 hours ago, is now suddenly like, okay, they're still a better team, certainly, than Golden State. With but f- that is, that's not a joke. That's not a walkover. You just show up and win. Who's guarding
1: anymore. Steph with Ben out? that doesn't yeah, it, even guard him all the time. I was going to say who's
0: guarding Steph? Period, cuz yeah, he's not I a mean, guy that you can really it,
1: you can only hope to slow him down the slightest bit, but yeah. you know, Shake Milton isn't going to put the clamps on him, Kevin Love style.
0: Yeah. Well, so I I wrote the I wrote a piece yesterday where I talked a, a lot, I should I was going to say a little, but a lot about the organizational mismanagement that they've had basically since the Colangelo family first took over the team when Jerry Colangelo arrived in late 2015 and in the years since where, and it all culminated with the signing of Al Horford. And, and look, we can, we've talked about Horford a ton. Have we? Yeah, probably, a, probably far too much, honestly. Like I, I, it's annoying at this point, but it's hard to get around the subject because this team committed a hundred million ish dollars to a guy who's best suited to be a backup center for this team and a backup center for a team that has a franchise level, unreplaceable caliber player at the center position already. And I think what was maybe glossed over when, because look, plenty of people, including myself to a certain extent talked themselves into okay Horford made it work as a power forward next to a guy like Aaron Baines he's super skilled he's super smart etc cetera, etc cetera. they can make this work and I think what I glossed over and I'm sure a lot of other people gloss over at the time is that if that didn't work it, like if you bring in like Utah this year brought in Mike Conley and he has been wildly disappointing for them. It's been a it's been a big deal for them. After a lot of people, all the NBA Twitter hipsters were like, "Oh, they're going to win the West this year because they they want to pretend like they can outthink everybody instead of just looking at Anthony hey man, Davis and LeBron James and assuming the that and they'll win a lot of games." I don't even know if that's true of but... them. <laughs> but so Mike Conley has been much worse than people expected but the thing with having a guy like Mike Conley is like he's still playable and you can still use him in a bunch of different ways as a guard like he can shoot he can dribble and you can put him in lots of different spots on the floor because of that and unfortunately with a big man that is just not the case you can't ask Al Horford is good in small spurts in switches on defense but you don't want him playing like Ben where he's trying to defend every position on the floor you don't want him trying to initiate pick and rolls all the time you don't want like he's not he's good he's skilled for a center he's not skilled relative to guys at other positions and he's getting paid a lot more than guys at other positions that would bring skills to the table that they simply don't have they don't have enough creators they don't have enough shooting And it really brings in, like when Simmons goes down and you're without everything he brings to the table, I know that we talk about his weaknesses all the time. I know we talk about how he doesn't shoot three-pointers and he doesn't do all these things. But the void that is left when he is not available and you look at this team that is structured like a team from – Decades ago, rather than a modern NBA team, it really we crushing the, the
1: 1958 Celtics in four games.
0: <laughs> it's crazy, dude. Like the the way that they have neglected guards across the board, free agency, draft. It's just they they don't they have not made it a priority ever. And the one time they did, when they go out and Obviously, they tried with Markel Fultz. I know that that was a big failure. That was the right idea. You needed guys who are going to be able to have three-level scoring skills that can run pick and roll. Guys
1: who can dribble and shoot, like the two most basic fucking aspects of basketball. They don't have anyone who does that.
0: I know we harp on this all the time, but it's not that complicated. It sounds
1: stupid. We sound like idiots saying it over and over, and it makes me feel... Like, they're gaslighting me because I'm saying, like, oh, we need a guy who can shoot and dribble. And then I'll be talking to people at work or something and be like, what do you mean when you say they don't have guys who can dribble? i I'm like, imagine if they're getting pressed in the fourth quarter. Who can you give the ball to to get the team to advance the ball into the other side of the court? Ben Simmons. That's the only person I would trust to do it. They have one guy who can dribble, and he can't shoot. So they have no guys who can do both shoot the ball and dribble basketball.
0: Right, like... I like Tobias Harris. I think he's a fine enough player. But he's, he's fine. He, he can't create separation. Lawful neutral
1: Tobias Harris. He
0: he can't create separation from good defenders. And when he doesn't have an obvious mismatch in terms of speed or strength, you see what he is. And that's a guy that, like, he's he's still a – I know the league has, you know, accepted tweeners more now than maybe they did – 10, 15 years ago, you could find sure. places for guys. It's like good to but be a tweener you, now almost. You can be a tweener with size, but you do need skills of different positions. And uh, Tobias's are not quite where they need to be for a wing type scorer. And and that hurts them. And I would say the same thing with Josh Richardson, except uh, it's applicable to, to guard skills. He's good enough to be a secondary ball handler and run pick and rolls in that way when you need him to be the guy who's initiating a lot of your half court offense that's a problem like perfect example and it, we'll get to joel Embiid in a minute and the night that he had on monday night there's a possession to open the second half against atlanta where joel Embiid had a mismatch on the post and got like ran the floor established position early and was ready to rip And Josh Richardson has the ball in his hands and never even really attempts to get him the ball. And that's just like – that's a basic basketball principle that you expect guards especially to live up to. Like it's not that hard to see, hey, that guy's seven feet tall, has a smaller man on him, and has him posted up on the low block. I need to get him the ball. Like Seamus, I think I could throw you out on the floor. And if you had the ball in your hands on the perimeter – you would at least attempt to get Joel Embiid the ball in that instance. I would. And so, like Put you know, me have, in, Brett. <laughs> they have all these guys that I don't think they're bad players, I like I think Tobias just and not, Josh. They're ill-fitting. They're not they, bad.
1: Josh isn't a shooting guard, let alone a point guard, or I should say not a point guard, let alone a shooting guard. He's a three. Tobias Harris isn't a three. He's a four. Al Horford isn't a f- four. He's a five. It's just all these people. It's just... Aren't where they're supposed to be, their skill sets don't match, and when Ben's not there, or Joel is not there, either one, things kind of fall to shit.
0: Yeah, and I just I don't know. Maybe you can get away with that with one guy in the rotation, like you're you're sliding him over to yeah. make it easier for everybody. But they've had to comp that, and that is the story of this team. They've had to compromise every one of these guys. To make room for somebody else. Horford's being compromised playing power forward. Ben is being compromised to some degree playing playing with Joel, but also playing point guard and having to be the only guy run the offense. Josh Richardson's compromised by having to, because of Ben's limitations as a pick-and-roll handler and so forth, Richardson has to take a bigger role than he's capable of. Tobias Harris has had to defend wings and – be more of a a true three than I think he's capable of being. Like every single one of these guys is having to make sacrifices in one way. And while like, yes, teams have to make sacrifices to win championships. That is true. Most guys are not having to all make the sacrifice to play outside of the role they're meant to play. Sacrifice normally means you get less touches or you shoot less or, and so on and so forth these sacrifices are just not realistic and they're not to the benefit of the, the individuals or the team. And I think it, it seems clear that we can say that, but especially when Ben is hurt and these guys are are left without a real creator in the bunch.
1: I don't even know where they – who would you – I hadn't had this in our notes for later on, but who would you start right now? With Ben out, just say Ben's out for the next indefinite period of time. So if you don't have Ben, you have everyone
0: else. Who are you starting? I didn't hate the lineup that Brown ran out it there could be worse. on Monday. Like I, I think bringing Shake into the lineup makes some sense. Yeah. Um, Horford starting was weird, but uh, definitely. Like, here's what I would say on that. I, I think when Ben is out of the lineup. It gets a little harder to sell to somebody like Horford that he should be coming off the bench when the the guys who are going to start over him are somebody like Glenn Robinson III or Shake Milton or maybe Howell Neto or Matisse or Cork Like, (laughs) It's one
1: thing. (laughs) have a playoff team starting lineup of uh, Neto, (laughs) Burkhan, thigh ball and beat into like it or Tobias is probably going to blow his knee out because he played through a knee contusion and then played again yesterday and the team doesn't know what the fuck they're doing so yeah go on
0: yeah well so the point being I I think it makes some sense to bring Horford back in number one because you want to see what him and Joel look like in different configurations now that Ben's out it's you know it's a little bit of a fact-finding mission but also he is one of your five best players yeah and and like that's that's not debatable so you know you you try to figure that out and and bringing Shaken gives you like I know Tobias hasn't run it a ton since he's come here but that gives you three guys that could potentially run pick and rolls we saw that would I, I think that group worked pretty well early last night and I think Joel, when he's engaged on defense, can clean things up for everybody. So I like I I do think you should just be looking for best offensive fits right now, which is why I would lean toward guys like Shake and, and maybe Furcon. But you know she- I I don't think that there's a uh, there's not really a wrong answer except for Neto. I don't, I think Neto at this point has shown like if he's going to play spot minutes here and there, that's fine. But asking him to play a starter's role. Even if it's just to keep everybody in their bench positions, I don't think that that's – he has not done enough to warrant that sort of role with this team, I don't think.
1: Yeah, if if Neto's starting, just don't even play the game.
0: (laughs) I don't know if I would go that far. They did win a game with him starting. I
1: mean, I don't want to watch a game, I should say. Put it that way.
0: Okay, that's fair. Um, Well, I I guess we didn't bring up – Alec Burks. I think my problem with Alec Burks as a starter conceptually is that he has never seen a shot attempt that he didn't like. Respect. And, and uh, like look. You need a guy like that on the team. I, I am glad that they got someone like that on the second unit because I think they've needed a dude like that that is just going to come in and 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 play with that sort of attitude. But in the starting group where you want to get Joel going and you want guys to get their touches and find their rhythm early, I don't think that's the guy who's going to help facilitate that. I think he's going to, to run pick and rolls and, and pull up and shoot. And, and while that's all well and good, that's not necessarily like starting point guard or, or starter in general material.
1: I think Shake's fine. I'm not a sh- like I'm During the whole year, people were saying, like, oh, they need to get Shake built in time. Just like guys like- Talking about people on Twitter and stuff, and it just seems like yeah, if he was good, he'd be he's out He's got there, a good you know he, name, so I, I get why he, people. if his uh, name was uh Steve Fox or something, I don't know, no one would give a <laughs> shit about him. And he just feels like he should be good with I, name, if, like if your name's Shake Milton, there's no way you're bad at basketball. But sometimes he is. But last time he was good. I thought he had some competent entry past the Joe. He had he, he's had like a, when he started a couple games has five six seven assists uh which for a guy you, i assume was a complete zero is big plus so i think they're kind of stuck sh- starting shake which sounds if you tell me this before the year i just assume we're fucked and by we i mean the <laughs> sixers but i don't know yeah we're at, well- a, we're at a crossroads kyle The sixers <laughs> are at a crossroads
0: uh, so I think Shake's thing is that he's just got to defend well enough to be on the floor. I think he does plenty on off. He he's not going to be a prolific 20 point per game guy, but he knows his spots. He can dribble enough. He's a decent passer. He played point guard in college. I think he's more of a Same. a two masquerading as a one.
1: Definitely, definitely.
0: Now, but when you're playing through a post-up big man, you don't need someone that's going to like just get downhill all the time. So as long as he has an understanding of getting Joe the ball and, and all that, I, I think he'll do just fine. Because the that group, it should be equipped to lift him up on defense when he has bad games. And, and I think that's sort of the beauty of – that's one of the positives of their team construction is that they are able – to get away or they should be able to get Away with playing some weaker defenders Just because of the Surrounding structure But I guess Now would probably be a good time to we can Let's Talk about something finally, positive Yeah we can get to per, Possible friend of the podcast Joel Embiid who Had two of what I would say are His best games of the Year I think it, I would say I guess when you have a career high Against Atlanta That You could say that's the best game of the year, although opponent considered, I don't put too much stake into it. But, you know, you put up 49 points and you outscore the entire other team in the fourth quarter. That is certainly a night worth writing home about. And I think he had he just seems like he has the right mood and the right attitude right now and I I don't like getting into like these nebulous concepts that we can just kind of make up as we go but I think we definitely have seen a demeanor change for Joel starting with that Clippers game and I think he finally seems as though he understands all right all these games mean something and if we're going to get where we want to go then I have to play at an MVP-type level, and he certainly hasn't done that most of the year, but I, I think the last couple weeks, it's been the closest he's been to that level all season uh, for any extended period of time. We've seen flashes, but not really stringing games together like that.
1: Yeah, I wish it wasn't against the Hawks so I could feel like we put more stock into <laughs> it.
0: And that's not discrediting
1: Joe. He played phenomenal, and... You know, two things I wanted to point out with him were his free throw shooting, and that's something that even really for, good. Even from the start of his career, I think he was at as a rookie. He shot seventy seven or seventy eight percent from the line. I think back to the way Brett Brown was so worried about Nerlens Noel's shooting form, free throw shooting for him. and the goal was to get him at like sixty percent by the end of his rookie year, which in comparison to Embiid is insane. But he's continued after his career. I think he was seventy seven his his sophomore year. He was eighty the last year and he's up to 82 now and he's getting to the line more than any big man in the league less than hard if you want to consider Giannis a big man sure but he's up there
0: and by the way this is not to interrupt you but this sure. is in spite of a dip recently when he had the splint on his hand I think yeah. that was really screwing with him at the line and so I it's he it, he would be even better if, if not for that stretch that He's wearing that, and he got sort of like a little out of sorts because of that. We might be looking at maybe I don't know how much of an impact that has on the. I mean, he could almost, be at eighty
1: 40 percent, I guess. Right? I'm no mathematician. Yeah. uh He's also made a three in eight straight games, which I think is tied for the longest streak of his career or the longest streak in his career. He's up to thirty four point two percent on threes, which uh, he shot about thirty percent the last two seasons, and highest he's shooting since his. What and since thirty playing in thirty one games in his rookie year, where he shot thirty six percent. So that's not the largest sample size ever. Yeah. So if he's settling in as a thirty four percent shooter from deep, I think that changes a lot.
0: So what do you think is the? Uh, I have my theory on this, but I want to see what you think. What do you think is we would attribute his improvement there to?
1: On threes.
0: Yeah. This
1: isn't based on anything necessarily factual but just off the top of my head has he been doing less of those elongated fakes when he gets the ball at the top of the key
0: i think that that might be part of it i was thinking more so and this is uh, part of this is maybe i'm being swayed by how uh brett brown has talked about this but it it matches up with what i tend to believe i i think the issue for joel shooting wise is that a lot of his attempts like if we're just looking at his entire career a lot of his attempts end up being on these possessions where he has tired legs and he's just drifting out to the three point line rather than trying to run a set like he's not getting involved in a handoff he's not getting involved in a pick and roll and so he ends up settling for this like bs mid clock shot that it doesn't have a real chance yeah, like, of them. like they go in every once in a while.
1: Very Charles Barkley three. Like I'm tired. I'm just heaving this up and getting yeah. Like
0: uh, and it, look, it leaves him in decent position on defense, but it's it's just not a quality shot. And I think the difference that you've seen during this streak where he's making threes every game is that a lot of those are coming either in rhythm or it's a pick and pop, and it it's it's him making the effort to get there for a play and for that shot rather than just like, Oh, I'm settling for this. And that's been connected to away from the three point line where he's setting hard screens on guys and he's getting good looks out of pick and rolls. He had a really nice pick and roll with Tobias Harris early in the Atlanta game on Monday night. And I think all of that is connected when he is not, when he has when he's in shape and when he's engaged in the offense and you can also get him going downhill, he's going to create more of these offensive rebound opportunities and second chance points for Philly. And like, I think all these things are in this big spider web for him, that they're all somehow connected. And I think like that to me, we can obviously Brooklyn and Atlanta are teams that he should kill and, and score a bunch of points on. But if you look at how he got there and the, the nature of his game, I just think there are a lot of encouraging signs there. And I, I think that it shows, and I wrote about this a little bit uh, for today, it shows that a lot of this is just on him committing to being the player that we all know he's capable of being. Like nobody's stopping him from setting good picks and rolling – and getting easy buckets because he created that separation for himself. Nobody's stopping him from attacking the offensive glass and throwing guys out of his way for putback layups and thongs. Like there are maybe two or three guys in the league that can really slow him down and make his life difficult. When he sets his mind to it, this guy is capable of as he we have talked about some recently being the best player in the world I I genuinely truly believe that because there are very few guys that can lock down a team on defense on one end and then can go down on the other end and just create mismatch after mismatch and open shots for their teammates maybe he does it in a way that is uh it's not in the style that today's NBA generally plays but I just I I see these moments from him regardless of the opponent and I just see the guy that he should be all the time. And so it's it's great to see those, but for me from the reporter's perspective, I I am going to demand that from him more because I I truly think that he can do this a lot more often than he has this year and I want to see that. I want to see apex Joel Embiid all the time we got to see that a lot more last year and in years past and you know enough of the uh the night-to-night moodiness and and lack of engagement with the games like it's go time and I want to see this the rest of the year
1: I'm wondering if there's a greater sense of urgency to Embiid with Simmons out and this isn't some sort of slight about the Simmons Embiid relationship friendship scenario but more so hey our second best player is out. He's our primary initiator. I think I'm already the best player on the team. Heck, I even just said I was the best player in the whole world. It's time for me to take this shit seriously.
0: He, so he denied that when we asked him about it last night. He said this is part of uh, the aggressiveness that I, I wanted to play with starting with that Clippers game. I think that a switch went on for that game, whether it was because Horford was benched and he saw that as a, a motivating factor, whether it was just, that was a big game. And, you know, I, we, I think we talked about it a little bit, Seamus. I do think that all-star experience where he's among the best players in the world and he's the guy they kept turning to. And he not only did they keep turning to him, he kept producing in those minutes and, you know, as stupid as the all-star game is there, there's no doubt that that experience had an impact on him.
1: Yeah, we did talk about that and kind of had forgotten about that point. And I'm feeling it. I think we we had kind of said, and I think you more specifically said that you thought we were in for a monster quote unquote, second half of the season from Joe. Am I right saying that?
0: Yeah. I'd like I, and maybe some of that is me just thinking that he should do I'm saying that. it's coming true yeah yeah it feels
1: like it's it's happening we're watching yeah. it and I think we could I had written this earlier in the week and I'm not saying the Sixers are going to go on a 16 game winning streak but I could see him having the type of run that we saw Ben have uh towards the end of the 2018 season when Joe was out and kind of I would love to see that I mean I'm not saying they're going to again, whip off double-digit win streak. But I could see him carrying them to, you know, 15, 162nd half wins and, you know, the fourth seed in the playoffs.
0: I just I, – I hope that he – and I, I hope the coaching staff is in his ear and, and showing him the tape from these games and saying none of this – it is like a one-off type deal. like the things you're doing here, when you're committed to the glass and you're committed to being the best pick and roll defender possible, when you're putting guys in foul trouble early because you know they can't guard you when and this is something we haven't talked about when you're making good reads out of double teams and then making the effort to repost and get the ball back if the ball if it doesn't end up in a shot for somebody else. That stuff, those are habits. Those are championship habits that he can build that if he does those things, even if he's not the guy that's scoring 49 points, even if he only scores 20 points on a given night, if he's doing it in a way that is putting pressure on the opposing team, is taking guys out of games because of foul trouble, is creating easier shots for everybody, he is going to be offering MVP type value to this team and this coaching staff needs to ride him hard and make sure he knows hey big fella this is on you right now Ben's not coming to help you out you have some talented teammates but you are by far option number one two and three for this team and it's on you to to take that mantle and lead this team down the stretch I I think that they've had that discussion with him, but I hope that they just – I think he's the sort of guy, and we've seen this with the way he's reacted to even outside criticism, I think he's someone that that needs to be have someone in his ear at all times. And I, I think it's – to a certain extent, that's to his credit. Like not every guy that has his level of talent wants to hear it from people all the time what they need to do and what they aren't doing. But I I think that he's one of the few guys around the league that I think will actually perk up if you're riding him hard and telling him who he needs to be for this group.
1: Do you have confidence in Brown doing that consistently?
0: I do because I think they have a good enough relationship that he can – Joel understands when it's time to to turn it on to a certain extent. I think he – the last couple of years have also taught him that where he gets to, uh, he gets to the playoffs and they're in a, a hard fought series with a team like Toronto. Like the, again, we've talked about this before, the, the Brooklyn and Miami series the last two years, i don't put a whole lot of stock in them because of the talent advantage the Sixers have. But yeah, I do think there were lessons learned. And I do think he probably understands now that now is when he needs to really, cause he, he took plenty of the season off. Yeah, that much to the chagrin of the fan base and the people covering the team, but uh, yeah, I, I I think Brett also understands that if he doesn't get that version of Joel, the likelihood of him keeping his job moving forward goes down. So you know, I, there are a lot of a <laughs> lot of self interest parties go for Brooke, here. Right? Which, yeah, I mean, listen, if you end up flaming out because the the franchise player revolted at you trying to get the best out of him then well you know maybe that job wasn't worth having in the first place good call so yeah I, what do you uh are, are you on this wave with me that they should that we should get like mvp and bead for this final what is it they're down to 24 games i think it's wild point. but yeah
1: i don't see any reason why not of all the talk that he needs his own team or. Ben needed his own team. It shows team right now. Maybe they don't have an all-star replacement for Ben that they might have gotten in some sort of fake trade. But he has Tobias Harris. He has Josh Richardson. He has Al Horford. He has enough. He has enough. He can do it. We literally just saw him do it on Monday night. Let's go on a tear where he averages thirty point thirty and thirteen or something. Three assists. Two
0: blocks. It's realistic. It's, and it's cool, too, because, like, obviously, all things being equal, you would never want Ben to be hurt and all that. No, but, never. But, but it's, it's a rare opportunity. We haven't seen – we've never seen Joel have to take control of this team by himself for a long time since they've actually been a good team. Like, obviously, his rookie year when he's playing with uh, Sergio Rodriguez and Gerald Henderson and all those guys – that was very firmly his team but none of them were able of turning games and helping him win at a high level yeah. so i'm very fascinated to see how this goes now that we we've seen plenty of ben running the show by himself but yeah but this is something totally different and and if there's anything i'm excited for as a product of the injury that is that is definitely it so with that mvp joe time it, it is mvp joe time and with that we move on i believe to everybody's favorite segment at least my favorite segment i can't speak for seamus either the mac collins loser of the week award Woo-hoo. we actually had i think we had an outside submission this week we had someone one of our oh uh, i forgot so let me actually Hold pull up. that up right now. As for this, is great podcasting that I didn't prepare for this, and just I forgot about it. it. So we, I made the
1: I made the outline rundown today. So throw it on my shoulders.
0: Uh, we will not point any fingers. That it's not the sort of podcast we. Uh... Oh, so someone winehorse, right? Yeah, it was a submission from a, a listener. I don't want to butcher his name. Um, but thank you. I think his name might just be Evan, that he changed it because of Cork Moss. So we're going to. Evan Maz1 is his at. Um, submitted a video. It's a recording of the Brian Windhorse and the Hoop Collective podcast that Tim McMahon, who reports on, I guess, like the Texas teams, I would say. He's mostly covering Mavs Rockets, Mavericks, Spurs. Yeah. Does a good job covering those teams, but he had a take about. I, I don't want to play it right now while we're on the podcast and have to, like, digest it. But I, I think the the upshot of it was that uh, Philadelphia fans are Fairweather fans and that they're awful and that he, he was, like, trying to defend himself for making a joke about booing Santa Claus because he – oh, here here's what it was. Now I remember. He said that he made a joke on Twitter that he said – philly fans booed donovan mitchell because of course they did he's the nicest guy they booed since santa claus and it's like oh no, shut the fuck oh, up what a what a fucking shit fucking take that like so that he's a nominee yeah, maybe for cre- the other uh dude so they thank they you to career. evan for throwing that in there i had yeah, actually thanks, i don't F. listen to that podcast the but, f-man
1: uh, saved the day yeah he- <laughs> Fucking asshole, dude. You made your career stalking LeBron James since it's since high school. He probably well, with no, no, no. Windhorse did did.
0: not say this. This was Tim McMahon. Uh, Oh, so blame Tim McMahon.
1: Oh, fuck Dallas. Dallas sucks. What else do you want me (laughs) to say? It's literally in my in my Twitter bio. It says dislikes slow wide receivers in Dallas. So, yes, there you go. There you go, Tim. All right, so get Ben
0: Tim McMahon, one nominee. Do we have uh, – who else do we have on the list? Well, Josh Harris.
1: I think that's a omnipresent figure and our loser of the week. Uh, Michael Rubin still posting weird stuff on Instagram. Uh, <laughs> but then, again, another omnipresent figure. The Sixers medical staff allowing Ben Simmons to play on Saturday. I'm not a doctor, but it seemed to me that forcing him to play when – or allowing him to play even though he might not have been ready, ready if he's saying it and just allowing these guys to do whatever the hell they want without any restraint – or clearing these players to play when Ben, it seems by that injury, shouldn't have been in there against the Bucks in Milwaukee. So they're perpetual losers, much like myself. So I vote for ah, Tim McMahon. Tim, I don't want to say Tim McManus because he's a great Eagles reporter, so I'm confusing this <laughs> in my head. Well, but, Tim
0: McMahon is a good uh, basketball reporter. But yeah, this, yeah his I, take here was... I uh, never...
1: Uh, had any ill will towards him before 45 seconds ago <laughs> but now I have a lot
0: I'm going off the board with my pick Seamus I'm, I'm gonna surprise you the loser of the week for me is Kevin Herter oh. Joel Embiid dribbling the clock out last night with 49 points and this red-headed dork has the audacity to play defense with 24 seconds left <laughs> in a game that had turned into a blowout just go away, man. Just take your take your L. Walk back to the locker room and go back to Atlanta. Uh, I just that was that was ridiculous. And I I tweeted this out right when right after that happened. I said that it, I mean I truly believe if Joel Embiid had wanted to take a shot for fifty points after Herter pulled that stunt, that he would have been justified doing it. That's just a total cornball move. To although I will say TJ McConaughey would do that. On the flip side of this, one of my favorite moments in recent Sixers history is when Dario Saric did this against, I think it was, maybe they were playing Cleveland? Yes. And he dunked at the end of the game and like didn't understand. (laughs) At least that's what it came off as because you just assume he's like, oh, he's the goofy European guy. He just dunks, and Joel comes over, and he's like, no, 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 he doesn't understand. It's okay. And it was like this whole kerfluffle, and I just – I don't know. I really – so maybe I'm a hypocrite here, but Kevin Herter is my personal Matt Collins loser of the week for playing defense in a blowout with 24 seconds left. Not even playing defense for stripping somebody that's not – Yeah, that's not – It'd be one thing if, like, the Sixers were trying to score, and he he gets a stop, but that was Joel – just kind of winding it down so uh, I guess you and I will have our our own individual selections for this week Seamus we normally come to an agreement but I think this podcast is better for the uh, the diversity of our choices
1: yeah always good to collab with our (laughs) favorite segment
0: Uh, all right well thank you everybody for tuning in this week as always if you could give us some five-star reviews subscribe to the podcast if for some reason you haven't already and hopefully by the next time we talk to you there is not another moment of outright incompetence or lunacy from the philadelphia 76ers so thanks for listening